One of the most annoying songs, not only because I didn't know if it was true for me, but because of how repetitious it was. Now, if I sing it, I want you to join in if you know it. Now, I know Brace Yourself. Some of you know my singing ability, and uh, it's, it's painful. So we'll do this together. So I'll start. You jump in when I point or whenever you like. It goes like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. That was beautiful. Wow. I'm just going through puberty late at life. So there's this moment where, where we'd sing these songs, and it was horrible because we'd sing this song, and I'd be in kids' church thinking, this is the last place I want to be right now. There is no joy in my heart. There's a lot of anger at mum and dad for not letting me watch cartoons this morning. So we loved the second verse that some uh, recalcitrant person made up for uh, this song, and it goes like this. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. What? Sit on attack. It was awesome. We could even get more violence. Like, if the devil doesn't like it, punch him in the face. And everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This song's getting increasingly violent. The reason was, for me as a young kid, we'd sing these songs, and we never do this in church, right? We never do this in church, singing songs with our mouths that our hearts don't believe. That never happens. Or does it happen sometimes more often than we'd like to admit? You know, when I think about joy and this song, the question that provokes my mind is, is there joy in your heart? Is there joy in your heart today? If we were to sing this song, would it be true for you? Because I know it's not true for all of us. And this Advent season, we gather to celebrate these truths together. Advent means to come. It comes from the Latin. It means to come. And actually, for most of church history, this season of year, whilst we think, well, the main reason for this season is baby Jesus, actually, for most of church history, it wasn't. For most of church history, until the medieval times, the Middle Ages, this season of time was not about the birth of Christ, but celebrating the second coming of Christ. This was what Advent was that we believe that Jesus didn't just come once, but we long for him to come again. That this season carries hope for us. Now, it's not wrong for us to think of the first coming as well. What a rich and beautiful tradition. But it's not just about a manger. It's also about a king. And this king gives us reason to celebrate. So before I go to joy, let me ask another question tonight. Why do you celebrate Christmas? Why do you celebrate Christmas? And I wonder if it's, well, I'm grateful for things. Maybe it's about family, maybe it's about food, maybe it's about gifts. But the question I would ask in adjunct to this question is also this, is the reason you celebrate Christmas able to be celebrated by everyone around the world? Because there are people this Christmas who will not have family. Can Christmas still be good news for them? That we'll not have food, that we'll not have gifts. Is Christmas still good news for them? And friends, if the answer is no, because they can't share in our celebration, our celebration is too weak. We need a stronger reason. That's what Advent is about. It gives us a reason to celebrate when the world has given us a reason to steal these things from us. It gives us eternal gifts that aren't just gifts at Christmas time, but all throughout the year, the gift of hope, like Pastor Alex spoke about last week, the gift of peace, the gift of love. And friends, what we're talking about today, the gift of joy. Do you have joy in your heart? It's interesting as we sing songs at Christmas time, like this one, joy to the world, the Lord has come. I'm not going to sing this one for you. It's a lot harder to hit the notes off where I nailed it the first song. The earth, let let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. 
We sing these songs and sometimes, if I'm honest, I hate singing Christmas carols. Is anyone else with me? Did you know there's a reason why? Yeah, our yeah, worship pastor for the family. Sick, you didn't put that on your resume, did you, Aaron? No, there's this moment, right, where, where there's actually a psychological reason why we hate seeing Christmas carols. I think I've spoken about this before. Did you know that we hate seeing Christmas carols because what happens when you go into a shopping center and Frank Sinatra's crooning voice comes across with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, what it triggers is a subconscious reminder that Aunt Ethel is coming and you haven't yet bought the prawns, finished buying your gifts, and there's still a lot to do before Christmas. There's this subconscious tension in us that when we hear these songs of joy, we're like, Christmas is coming, right? It's foreboding. And it shouldn't be like that because this idea of joy is one that is is central to the Christmas story. So much so that if we do think or or talk about Christmas being around the birth of Christ, we're reminded of the narratives that tell us of that joy, like Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, where a group of angels gather on a hillside with these shepherds to announce to them the good news. And we read this, and in the same region that Jesus was born, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Now, if you've read the Bible, every time an angel appears, they say the same thing. Fear not. Don't be afraid. And my thought around this as I was reading and exegeting and studying commentaries, if you have to say don't be afraid every time you rock up somewhere, you should change how you're rocking up somewhere. Like, take a hint. But they continue, fear not. For behold, I bring you news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Now, when I was reading this last week, I, I was kind of shocked by the insensitivity of it all. Here are these angels. They haven't asked what, what the shepherd's days have been like, what they've been walking through. Hey, have they, what kind of journey have their family in the middle of? They just rock up and they go, guess what? We've got joy for everybody. And I wonder if the shepherds were sitting there thinking, like I am sometimes at Christmas, even for me. My family just got a medical diagnosis that we didn't want, even for me. I'm not sure I'll have family Christmas time. It's fractured, it's broken, even for me. Man, the finances are a bit harder this year than, than they've been in the past. Is there joy even for me because it doesn't feel like it? Now, I know some of you are wondering, wow, Michael's life is, these are not all about me. But maybe you can relate to one or two of them. Because I know what it's like to enter Christmas time without joy. Last year, in 2021, uh, on November the 1st, it marked my first year uh, completed as the lead minister. I've been in this role for two years now, but last year, that was a significant moment. Because around October and November, something started to change inside of me. As we began to prepare for Christmas, I found myself remarkably unhappy. Now, I was highly functional. I was preaching, I was praying for people, I was doing my job, and, and it was, it was, you know, I was thankful that I got the opportunity. But late at night, I'd go home and I'd sit with my wife, and she'd say, You're okay, and I would just cry. And she'd say, What's wrong? And I, and I would just say, I, I don't know. I'm just really, I'm, I'm sad, I'm not enjoying life. And after you know, a couple of weeks, she said, Michael, I think you need to talk to somebody about this. This isn't normal. And I said, I'm a pastor. I talked to Jesus. You talked to somebody about this. What's going on? We don't, I'm not talking to nobody. And after a couple more weeks, I realized it wasn't going away. And so she said, yeah, I'd re- I need you to do it for our family. So I went and I saw my psychologist. I started to talk to my psychologist about what was going on. And, um, and I just cried just randomly about something 
not even sad. And, and, and they just said, Michael, we, we think there's something serious here. We think you need to go talk to a doctor. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I don't talk to a doctor. I just get healed and keep going in Jesus' name. But um, it didn't happen. The healing didn't come. And so I went and saw a doctor and I went through some tests and they found out. Um, and he said to me, he said, Michael, I think you're depressed. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a pastor. Pastors don't get depressed. But here I was with no ability to enjoy life. Felt like everything was squeezed from me. And he said, Michael, the chemicals in your body are all out of whack. You've gone too hard this year. And um, you're probably gonna need some medication and a change in lifestyle to things get right again. And that was humiliating. I shouldn't need to be on meds. That's not, that's not my story, but, but that's been my journey for the last year. And it was so difficult for me as a pastor of a church to be able to stand in front of people and think to myself, life doesn't feel great right now. And, and that's been a difficult journey the last couple of years, over the last year. But for me, what God has also taught me over the last year is that whilst the medicine, whilst the doctors, whilst the health professionals have been able to regulate my body and my chemicals and, and, and achieve a new level of, of normal again, they couldn't bring me back joy. Because joy doesn't come from the medical profession. Joy doesn't come from a doctor. And whilst I would say, if you have a mental health concerns, whatever, please see doctor, please see medical help, 100%, but they cannot give you what only God can give. See, I'd forgotten the source of my joy. In the process of this, these depressing thoughts, my world had come undone and I'd forgotten to remember the joy that could only come from God. So today I wanna to talk about three things from someone who's experienced a joyless life. I wanna talk about the problem of happiness, the beauty of joy, and finally, the practice of joy. And as we step into the problem of happiness, I wanna highlight that I think one of the issues in our culture today that God revealed to me over the last year is that we have an overfixation on happiness. We think that happiness and joy are the same thing. We long to be happy, right? But happiness, what I found, is ultimately nothing wrong with it, but it means it's like this momentary feeling good. When you're happy, it's because the circumstances around you are helping you to feel a certain way. And people chase this. In fact, McDonald's back in 2003, they promoted Ronald McDonald to not just be the, the branding and you know, the mascot of their organization. They promoted him to CHO, Chief Happiness Officer of McDonald's. And other organizations thought it was so great, they went one step further. Why don't we not get someone that's fictitious? Let's actually employ someone for this. So organizations had an executive around their board table called a chief happiness officer whose whole role was to make sure the beer kept flowing at events, that jet skis were available on weekends and that emails like were low and, and, and inboxes were clear. And what they found was the CHO saw the happiness of organizations increase except for one person, the chief happiness officer who as they were meeting the demands of their organization became increasingly unhappy with the complaints and the concerns, why? Because we think that happiness is a moment to be pursued, a feeling that we needs to be fulfilled. And when someone doesn't fulfill it, we try to find someone to blame. And if someone's called the CHO, the chief happiness officer, it's that guy. But actually theologian says this is the human disposition. That humans have a propensity for their hearts to suck onto anything that would make them happy. We latch onto things, right? We see this every sporting season. People latch onto sporting teams. If just they win, man, that would be such a great day. The problem is 99% of sporting teams don't win. And so a lot of people every year are left unhappy. 
What else do we do? We latch onto relationships and they make us happy for a time. Maybe we even get married thinking, man, marriage will make me happy forever. And all those of us who are married know that hey, that's, that's not necessarily true. You don't have to nod along with me for half of the sake of the drive home. But like, you know, it's, it's a lot of weight for a partner to have to carry your eternal happiness. We suck our, the life out of our jobs, out of relationships, even our churches thinking that these things should give us happiness. And when they don't, we cry poor, we get angry, we are so upset. Why? Because we think that happiness is owed to us so much so that the American Constitution has enshrined it. That is an inalienable right, the pursuit of happiness for all men and women. And I wonder if this has led us down a dangerous path. Let me be clear, friends, there's nothing wrong with happiness. Some of you are in this room right now, you're going, Michael, I'm really happy, and you're making me like, don't want to say the depressed word, but like, you know, down the other end of the spectrum right now. And I just want to say, there's nothing wrong with being happy at all. And if that's where you're at, awesome. Last week, I preached this on the Gold Coast, and we had these young adults who were like, why does Michael hate happiness so much? So, that's not my heart. I just don't think it's the chief end of man. See, God never in the Bible, never once does God say to humanity, my main aim for you is that you might be happy. Because happiness is feeling good. And if that's God's main aim, then he's got a lot to answer for. Because how much of our lives are not feeling good? But God never promises that. Because happiness, that word happy, was actually came about in the 1350s to describe people who were lucky. If someone was seen as lucky, people would be like, wow, that person's really happy. Why? Because happy is a root word for happen or happenstance. It's a circumstantial word that we have of, of things beyond our control that happen to us that make us feel nice. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be the victim of my circumstances as to whether or not I can enjoy it. This guy named Epicurus, for those of you who are wondering, I hope they teach us Greek philosophy today in church. Well, here we go. A guy named Epicurus, back in ancient Greece, he came up with this way to be happy. And because I don't have my devices with me, there's four ways to be happy. I'm gonna try to remember it. Number one was do not believe in God. Do not fear death. Do not worry about pain. And number four was do not acquire meaningless things. Instead, you're not gonna lie where this is going. Instead, he said, pursue pleasure. And this is the root and the father of hedonism, which is deeply entrenched in our culture today. Hedonism is the idea that your main goal in life should be pleasure. Chase it, feel good. When you don't feel good, chase pleasure again. Just chase this addiction to an unnatural high. And, and there's nothing wrong with pleasure, friends. If, you, if you've ever felt pleasure, what a God-given gift. But here's the problem, when I've walked through suffering, when I've walked through deep pain, when I was depressed, pleasure didn't mitigate the sorrow and the grief. It didn't take it away. Epicurus was wrong, and I know that from experience. Hedonism doesn't work. Psychologists have proven that actually 50% of your happiness is predisposed by your genetics. So that means if today you're not feeling happy, you just gotta give mum and dad a call and blame them. Some of you are like, I do that every week anyway. <laughs> now this makes sense to me because I'm a melancholy introvert. My wife is unnaturally, she's like a sanguine extrovert and like everything makes her happy. She's like, sunshine. I'm like, sunshine. <laughs> like I spend most of my life glaring at the horizon like it's done something wrong to me. Like that's just who I am. But it's good to know that that's like, that's part of my genetic makeup. Is that, is that where I'm meant to land? 
But see, what the Bible offers us in this verse is not the angels rocking up in a scene and saying, hey, we've come with good news, with great happiness for all people. Now, friends, let me tell you about the beauty of joy. Joy is far greater than happiness. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, let me read it again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Unto who? Unto Mary? Unto Caesar, unto the Pharisees. This is such a controversial moment. And, and I actually preach about this most Christmases. And if you've heard me preach on it, that's great. Because Christmas is the time to repeat great truths. Unto who? A bunch of shepherds on the side of a hill. And we need to be reminded that shepherds were the Middle East's dropkicks. No one liked shepherds. They were the outcasts. This is why David and Goliath, of David and Goliath fame, when, when all these brothers were hanging out with Samuel, he was in the fields looking after the sheep because he was the runt of the ladder, of the litter. No one liked David, so he got to be the shepherd. This is so controversial, friends, because what do we see when we look at the shepherds? We're seeing the lost, the lonely, the last, and the least. Any New Zealanders can relate today. Amen. You should have heard the 8 a.m. service of calling Yadda this morning. There was a lot of New Zealanders in that. They're like, Ugh. It's like we prayed for him after the service. It was fine. There's this moment when, when, when what, we, what we sense is actually, this is a foreshadowing of the kingdom of God. That what, Jesus is, what is happening in Jesus' announcement is this, is that the angels come to the lost, the last, the lonely, and the least, because they, that is the people that God seeks to include in his kingdom. He comes for the lonely. He comes for the sinner. He comes for the broken. He comes for the anxious. He comes for the depressed. He comes for the down and out, those that society has said not good enough. He comes and knocks on their door. And friends, here's the truth of Christmas. If none of these words have ever described you, then the joy of Christmas can never delight you. Not all these words together, but if none of them have never described you, if you've never known yourself as someone who's broken and needs healing, then the joy of Christmas will never be the good news intended. Because what happens in this moment, the angels, I think, show us what joy is. I've been trying to define joy my whole life. And just in meditating on this verse, I realized that joy is really two things. Joy is an internal reality and an external trajectory. And that's what the angels give them. For unto you is born a gift today, a baby in the form of Bethlehem. Let me tell you what this gift is. It is a savior and it is Christ the Lord. See, our internal world needs a savior. Our internal reality needs someone to step into that mess. And it might just be me, but in my humanity, I've found my internal world to be really messed up, really broken, really problematic at times. Friends, whilst I've been a pastor who has anxiety and who struggles with depression, before I was a pastor, I was, I was doing silly things and I still struggle sometimes. And I, I want someone to give me hope that I don't have to fix myself. See, the human problem, and many of you know this, is that we, we, we say, stuff God, I'm gonna go my own way, and our own way doesn't work. Latching onto sporting teams, onto relationships and all this stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill us the way we hoped it would. Our selfishness breaks the world. And our internal reality is screwed. But into this moment, the God of heaven sends his son, Jesus, to be a baby who would grow to be a perfect man, live a perfect life and die a perfect death. Why? that your sin and your shame wouldn't be the end of the story. That friends, that there is a hope today that steps into our internal world and says, I can make your heart of stone a heart of flesh. I can make all things new again. 
Joy is first and foremost an internal reality that we submit to God and He renews all things. Friends, what's your internal reality like today? And I just want to say there are some of us that are Christians and you've forgotten the joy of your salvation. I was reading the book of Hebrews this morning and I was reminded in Hebrews chapter 10 that Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the Father. People don't sit down who still have work to do. And what do I mean by that? It means that this week, if you stuffed up or you sinned, Jesus didn't need to die again. He didn't need to go and do more work to cover the price of your sin. This is what he needed to do. I've already done enough. Come home, you are forgiven. And for me this morning, as I sat at my desk at 5 a.m., that was good news to a struggling pastor. I pray that'd be good news for you today. That he has done enough and he is sitting down for the work has been finished. But it's not just an internal reality that he offers us, it's an external trajectory. Who is this Savior? He is Christ the Lord. See, the gospel of, of Jesus came to save us from our sins. It's only a portion of the good news. The rest of the good news is this, Jesus came to instigate a new kingdom, to bring a new reality. He didn't come to defeat Rome, he came to remove mankind from the throne and say, I've come to bring a kingdom not built by force, not built by might, not built by armies, but a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of hope, a kingdom of love and a kingdom of joy. And nothing will be able to beat this kingdom. It'll be greater than Putin, it'll be greater than the Labour Party, than the Liberal Party and the Greens Party, all mixed together, I will reign over all things. And I'll you a foretaste now of what one day I will come and do again. And Jesus promises us this, that the one who came once to the Middle East and walked the roads of Jerusalem, of Jericho, of the roads to Samaria, what we know is that this King will come again. That what He started in our internal world, He will one day complete with the whole world. And let me tell you why that's good news. Because friends, you know what? That means depression will one day no longer be a thing. Praise the Lord that one day cancer will no longer be a thing. That one day anxiety will be gone. Sickness will be done. Loneliness will be outcast. Is what Jesus says in Revelation 21 and 22, I will wipe every tear from every eye. I will make all things new. Friends, we as Christians hold to a hope of a greater future because our King didn't lie when He said, I will die, but I will rise again. So we believe He too will come again. Do you have that hope today? Because this is what it changes. It changes how we suffer. It doesn't change that we suffer. It changes how we suffer. Unlike happiness, which is eroded by suffering, joy can be found in the midst of grief. Joy is not about clapping our hands and laughing. It's an internal reality and clinging to an external trajectory that the world, the pain, and the darkness cannot take from us. Suffering looks like this church in Syria, who a couple years ago, their church was bombed by ISIS, persecuted by the Muslim extremists of their nation. And they fled the, the region in fear for their lives. But eventually ISIS was pushed out of the area and they returned to their church in time for Christmas. And they didn't sing songs of happiness. But they also didn't sing songs of grief. They sang songs of joy. Do you see what's in the middle of that rubble? Probably doesn't look like your Kmart or your Maya versions, but it's a Christmas tree. They pulled the rubble of their broken and, 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 and depleted church together and they built a Christmas tree and put a star on top because not even the persecution of ISIS could take the joy of the church. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King.
Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nation sing. See, the beauty of Christian joy, friends, is that it can be in the midst of suffering that we can still say, I am joyful, even though things are not okay. Timothy Keller, you know it's not a sermon by Michael unless my best friend makes an appearance. Whilst other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Friends, we don't run from suffering because we know that it's not the end of the story. That we can have joy now, but one day our joy will be complete. Here's the beautiful thing. Do you know Jesus promises us joy? We can hold him accountable to it. He says in John chapter 16, verse 22, so even with you, now is your time of grief. God speaks more frankly than we think he does at the Bible. So you're gonna have grief now, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And we can be like, wow, Paul, read the room, man. Stop demanding people to rejoice. He knew who he was writing to. He was writing to a church like the Syrian church. The Philippian church were persecuted. They didn't know if their children would die tomorrow, if their wives or their husbands would die tomorrow. In fear for their lives, Paul doesn't write, hey, it really sucks right now. We'll be praying for you. He says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, because no matter what you face, no one can take your internal reality and your external trajectory, hold fast in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, the joy cannot be diminished. Friends, do you have an internal reality and external trajectory that no matter the suffering or the grief you may know this Christmas time, it cannot be robbed from you because our Savior is still on the throne and He is not finished yet. What I've learned in my story is that joy, more than a feeling, it's a choice. Henri Nouwen, one of my favorite theologians, would say it like this, joy is essential to the spiritual life. Whatever we may think or say about God, when we are not joyful, our thoughts and words cannot bear fruit. Jesus reveals to us God's love so that His joy may become ours and that our joy may become complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved, and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. He goes on to say, joy is not the same as happiness. We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Friends, do you know joy today? It was a year ago that I, as a follower of Jesus, had to be real and say, I've forgotten joy. I've forgotten joy. And it's been a long year and I'm still learning. But I find happiness is like water that passes through our hands. It's fulfilling momentarily, but it drifts away. Joy is a fire we stoke in our hearts and we feed with the fuel of practicing it daily. See, I believe that joy is a practice, friends. It's initially a gift from God, but then it becomes a practice. And as a pastor who's been diagnosed and, and, and struggles with depressive thoughts, I've had to become serious about this. I've had to be real about, God, I wanna choose joy. So there's two things I've had to learn how to do. The first one is gratitude, and the second one is anticipation. Now, I know we talk about gratitude a lot, but I wonder how often we practice it. 
This is the age of entitlement. And sometimes we think it's just teenagers that are entitlement, entitled. You know, shout out to all the teenagers in the room if you've ever heard that word before. But I think entitlement is the language of our age. This is what entitlement sounds like. I can't believe they didn't. I, I hope Aunt Ethel will. My family had better. How come my church? Now, sometimes these are good questions to ask, but sometimes they're the only questions we ask. And entitlement is the antithesis of joy and gratitude because entitlement reminds you of your lack when gratitude reminds us of our abundance. And I've had to learn to be grateful. Friends, there are many things in my life not okay. How come God hasn't healed me of depression yet? But instead, I've had to learn the language of thankfulness. God, I thank you for a wife who looks at the, the, the absoluteness of my darkness and says, hey, let's go get help together. I thank you for a boy, two sons who love me no matter how grumpy I am. But even if all that stuff wasn't true, I'm thank you, Jesus, that when I was 21 years old and I was broken, I was doing stupid things in dark places, you interrupted my story and you said, Michael, I love you. It's time to come home. I'm so thankful. And when I forget that, I lose the joy of my salvation. Friends, do you know the joy today? Do you know the joy of your salvation? Because here's what's true. You might not have family. You might not have friends. You might not even have money in your bank account, but you can have joy to know that God himself looks at you and says, I want to make all things new again. Come, trust me with your life. Come and be a part of this community. Let others take care of you. Step in, step out, that he might give you something to be grateful for. And the final thing today is anticipation. I think joy and anticipation, when you practice these things, sorry, not joy, gratitude and anticipation, joy is a fruit. It's a fire that is built in our hearts. What are you anticipating? Man, don't we anticipate sad things? I reckon there's probably World War III on the horizon. I just read the news and Putin's doing some silly things and we anticipate this stuff, right? I anticipate crypto is going to bottom out. I shouldn't have invested all my money when my mum said not to. Oh, dearie me, that's not going to end well for We anticipate like, we, you know, toilet paper. Oh, let's hope you don't go into lockdown again so, you know, I can have some toilet paper on the. We anticipate these things and bring gloom to our world, but we don't anticipate the things that the gospel tells us to anticipate. We don't anticipate the idea, the fact that no matter what happens next year with Putin and Russia or whether the right political party comes into power in Australia, we can anticipate a kingdom that is coming, that will come, and that we are forebearers and messengers of. This is the story of Joni Erickson Tata. She's my hero. If you've heard me preach over the years, you'll hear me mention her name often. Joni is a quadriplegic. She cannot move her arms and legs because of a terrible accident she had when she was young. There's a moment in church when the pastor stands up and she's there in front of the whole congregation. His pastors often do. She goes, guys, I just sense God's calling us all to kneel right now. Whole congregation kneels and Joni, unable to kneel, bursts into tears. And the pastor, deep in shame, comes over and cries with Joni and says, I'm so sorry that I was insensitive to you. I shouldn't have called all people to kneel. She says, pastor, these are not tears of grief. These are tears of joy because I was reminded that there will come a day when I'm in heaven with my brothers and sisters and I will kneel with you. I will stand with you. This is not my final destination. God will make my body new again. Friends, we've lost that. We've lost that joy. 
And I think it's time we reclaimed it again. That we become a people of a now but not yet kingdom. Because you know what? I'm still struggling with depressive thoughts. I hope that's okay to say. Many of you know I struggle with anxiety. That's, that's the limp I carry out of many limps. But I hang to this hope that there will come a day when my darkness will be no more. When the light will be all we know. When bad medical diagnosis will be a foreign memory. Where we will not cry tears, but tears of joy as we stand in the presence of our King. Do you know that joy today? C.S. Lewis says it like this, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught up by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, and eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great foundation of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you will remain dry. What's he saying here? He's just doubling down on a truth that Jesus says in John 15, abide in me. In fact, Jesus says this, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love. You abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We abide in Christ for he is the source of our joy. Friends, some of us need to get closer to the fire today. Do you know the joy of your salvation? Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we just pause in this moment just with head bowed and eyes closed. I just want to just wait on God together. What's your internal reality like? Do you know your external trajectory? And there are some of you today that as I've spoken about this Jesus that heals our internal world, that's foreign to you. It's foreign to you. And I want to just offer today a moment for you to experience joy and joy to the full. That today that you might come to know Jesus, not just as someone that gives joy, but gives you salvation and salvation in its fullness. That in Jesus' name, you would know that He has forgiven you and renewed you and redeemed you. If you do not know the joy of your salvation today, if you've not offered to Jesus to come and mend your internal world, if that's something you need today, I'd love to pray for you. I'd be remiss for me for not to create this opportunity. If you want to know Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, and your friend, and know the joy He has offer for those who repent and turn to Him, would you just raise your hands with me right now? Wherever you are, would you raise your hand? I'll wait for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Awesome. Well, friends, in that moment, just with every head bowed and every eyes closed, we're in a room with no one that's raising their hands. And that's okay, because there's a second prayer that I've been praying at the end of this sermon that I want to pause and pray for you now. I want to pray for those of you who are followers of Jesus, but you can relate to me. You know what joylessness feels like. You've forgotten the joy of your salvation. I don't know, maybe you're weary, maybe it's hard, maybe life is full right now. 
And I just sense that God wants us to pray with you today. As David would cry out in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation, O God. Maybe that's a prayer we can pray together. If that's you, I wonder if you would join me in my vulnerability today and just stand wherever you are today. If you need a newness of joy just to come upon your life right now, would you just stand? Thanks so much. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. What I'm going to ask us to do now is um, something we're practicing a bit more in your life is uh, practice ministry together. So if you believe in Jesus and you have breath in your lungs and someone near you is standing, could you go stand with them, please? And just place your hand on their shoulder. It's just a way to say, hey, you're not alone. I just let's make sure everyone's just got like two or three people with them. Just got some people down the back as if there's some people up the top as well. I know we've got Richard and Kevin up there. You guys are good. I don't think we've got anyone standing. Let's just pray together. Let's just wait. And if you're not standing next to someone, that's okay. Like this isn't like a competition. We're just going to be in this community place together. Let's just wait on God. And if you are standing with someone and, and just want to stand and you want not know what to pray, just say, God, fill them with your joy again. Remind them of your joy. Maybe as you're praying, God might give you a prayer that's edifying, it's encouraging, it's uplifting. Lord, may your joy just wash through this place right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Just sensed today as well, just as you're, we're, we're praying, some people are praying, please continue to, but I might have this wrong. But just in worship this afternoon, God gave me Galatians 5 verse 7, which says this, Who stopped you from running the race? Who stopped you from obeying the truth that I have given to you? And I don't know, I just sense there might be someone in this room right now that someone's interrupted your race, something has interrupted your race. And I sense God saying, I want you to run again with us. I want you to run again. And if that's you, I'm actually not going to ask you to lift your hand. I'd love to pray for you after the service. Someone who's just raced with God, just been stalled, and I'd love to pray with you. But Lord, as we come together this afternoon in our vulnerability and in our, our mixture of emotion right now, I pray, would we know the joy of the Lord? That it's a gift from God, but it's an internal reality to be reminded of, and it's an external trajectory to feed the fuel of. Grant us your gratitude and grant us anticipation right now that we might know your joy. Fill us again. Fill us again. In Jesus' name.